Listener Production. Hi, 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 hi. Hello. Yes, hi. Oh, I see you over there. Welcome. Oh, thank you. Stop, stop, stop. Thank you guys so much. Welcome to come out wherever you are. This is a safe space for curious people to learn more about the coming out experience. So, congratulations. You are now a part of this beautiful community. And because this is a podcast about the coming out experience, it is only fair that I go first. My name is Sean Zepps. My pronouns are he, him, and I am a homosexual. I first came out in early 2000 when I was 12 years old to a friend in a closet, no joke. And I last came out, I guess it would be a week ago. I was actually at a party, a queer event. And one of the uh, people came right up to me, said hello, and then right away said, what are your pronouns and your sexuality? And it's just a, I don't even recall the last time someone just asked me, usually it's accidental. And I quite enjoyed it. Felt like we got that out of the way, moved right into the conversation. Today, we are welcoming a brand new member to the Come Out Wherever You Are family, Christian. Christian, can you introduce yourself and then just tell listeners when you first came out and if you can recall when you last came out. God. Okay, firstly, hi. Hi, everyone. Um, I am, as you can tell, I sound like a woman. I am a portly, (laughs) short... Uh, how specific? I'm going to go real specific. Go, 169 go. centimetres tall, uh, very rotund, live in Brisbane, uh, 35, massive gay, didn't really ever need to come out. It was very obvious to a lot of people. Um, but the first time I came out to my best friend, I was 18, and I had to write it on a napkin. Oh, this is the worst. This is I, so cringy and disgusting. I hate this story so much. <laughs> and I wrote, I was so nervous that I wrote gay backwards, which was yag. And then I handed it to her as I drove away and I was like, read it backwards. And then I sped away. And then what I didn't know at the time was she was a massive lesbian. But she didn't tell me for years. So I was like terrified of losing a friendship. And she was like, yeah, I mean, that was pretty obvious. I was like, oh, thank God. Wow. And so that was the first time. But uh, like everyone knew. Like I didn't realise everyone knew, but everyone, they just knew. And I think my family all knew there was an episode at the dinner table when so I've got triplet brothers Ooh. so they're five years younger than I am so they've just turned 30 and they were I would say about year 11 and so I was just was just before I moved out of home 23 we were sitting around the dinner table and my brother was talking about in high school one of his teachers that he didn't like and he goes like it was just like so bad and like my teachers what a get right (laughs) what a great he was a great teacher and we were eating dinner and he just shoved like a whole thing of broccoli in his mouth so he couldn't talk anymore and I I realised at that moment I was like oh that's very quite sweet of him he called himself out on saying you know it's okay yeah and like it hadn't really been addressed like dicks were in my mouth for, for a long time at that point. Yeah. But I'd never really said, oh, hey, family, I have an announcement. I put penis in my mouth. And that was the moment where I was like, no, oh, they definitely all know. And well, they're all fine with it, obviously, because, I mean, of course they were. A very, very supportive and open family. So, And mum had also dropped many, many hints, many awkward, like, she would say things to me like in year 10 we'd have a formal 
Um, and I got you know dressed up. It's like the first time I'd ever really worn a suit. And she goes, oh, you look so handsome. All the boys will love it. And the girls. And the girls will love it also. The girls will also love it. Oh, my goodness. I was like, goodness. oh, my God, Mum, stop, I stop. I love her. Oh, so <laughs> awkward. It was so awkward. When I was first planning this podcast and I was thinking about the who's who in the Australian LGBTQI plus community, Christian Hall was one of the first names that came to mind. Christian is a comedian, a content creator, and he is phenomenally funny, like so many viral videos. He has a podcast called Complete Dribble. He has a stand-up show coming up at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival. He's made over half a million dollars in six months selling pendants with off energy. And he has over 55 million likes on TikTok. Now, Christian Hall is totally phenomenally funny. And I'm sure a lot of you will go into this episode thinking that that's what we're going to talk about, but it's a little bit different to our usual come out wherever you are episode. Earlier this year, Christian stood up as an advocate for students at Brisbane's City Point Christian College when they were forced to sign a homophobic and transphobic contract as a condition of their enrollment. When Christian found out, he asked his audience of 1.2 million people to sign a petition asking the school to withdraw the contract. And he unintentionally became the spokesperson for the campaign. I wanted to speak to Christian now because he's in a really unique position, not only as an advocate, but as an advocate after the dust has settled. Usually when things like this happen, everyone wants to talk to the person, Christian in this case, in the moment, right when it's happening. But as soon as that moment is over, we kind of forget about them and then we move on. So I wanted to check in and see what it's really like to stand up for a community. Our community, especially when you didn't actually mean to. So really, that's what this episode is all about. We'll talk a little bit about the coming out experience, but a majority of this great chat is about his powerful advocacy. I'm not going to talk anymore. Let's just dive right in. Here's Christian. Because you didn't have to come out of time back then, do you have to do it now? Do you ever find yourself in social situations where people are like, where's your girlfriend? Um, uh, I think I've definitely noticed it depends on people's culture and mm. upbringing. Mm. So I've I've had a lot of awkward taxi and Uber rides Always where they ask me Uber if I'm rides. married. Always. Mm. So And, and they, they ask about my wife or my kids and I'm like, oh, no. Not married, and I'm, I, I, I always worry a little bit because, like, I'm like, gosh, maybe I am really masculine, and they can't tell. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, if they, if they flat out ask, I'll tell them. But it's usually, I think, it's certain cultures, or um, you know, a lot of people that have lived in other countries where maybe they've never, I don't, I don't know, mm. when they come to Australia and suddenly there's, it's, it's, it's a lot more accepting and tolerant. I'm glad you brought it up because every week when at the beginning of the show, I say, when's the last time I came out? And my producer's like, you can't keep saying the last time you came out was in an Uber. I'm like, I have to come out in Ubers four times a week. Oh my God. It's almost every Uber. (laughs) Like their small chat script, like the script they have is to not take into consideration how flamboyant I am. Look in the back seat, bitch. I am wearing booty shorts, a glitter top that says bottom. And my hair looks better than any woman you've ever met. And you want to know if I have a wife? Oh, it's absolutely a script. Hello. Wow, the weather is good. How is your wife? 
That's what it is. It's and the then you question. say, oh, actually, like, you know, you have to make a decision when you're a queer person. Is today the mm-hmm. day I'm going to fight for our community? Like, is today the day I'm going to change this guy's perspective on the universe or not? So half the time I'm like, she's fine. <laughs> I just <Yeah>. become straight. <laughs> I had one episode where um, it led into this conversation where I said, oh, no, I'm actually gay. I swear to God. I think this Uber driver wanted to just pull up and have sex. Like so inquisitive and like so, like, but really, so like when the guy finishes where, and that was like real, like real inquisitive and then being like, so have you ever done things in public or in parks or in bathrooms? And I was like, hmm. I uh, see. I, I see haven't, but going. I could meet you at Victoria yeah. Park at four o'clock. And it was just like it was like really leading, like so inquisitive to the point where I was just going to be like, "Do you just do you just want me to lean over and just give you a receipt? Like, is that is that what you're trying to ask?" <laughs> well, listen, ladies and gentlemen, and the days of this world, when you are in Ubers, you better be prepared. Okay, if you're a young queer and you're uncomfortable talking about your sexuality, that's the place where oh, you're going to cut your teeth. Is no, like jokes. literally. So do you do, do, the, do you let them jizz in your mouth? Was <laughs> pretty much what he was flat no. out asking. Known him for three minutes. Okay, so we're going to take a very big step back because there are multiple things you said in your intro that excited me. Uh, for good and bad reasons. But basically- in someone's mouth? <laughs> yep, yep. We're gonna, so we're going to go right there. When you say risky, no. You said you never really- had to come out because Mm -hmm. everybody knew. I just want to like put this out there. Oftentimes, family members of flamboyant people say, I always knew. Um, Mm. And what they actually mean, even though they're not willing to admit it, is my child was camp or or like was interested in girly things. Because no one looks at a six-year-old and goes, that six-year-old likes dick in his mouth. Like that is obviously... Yes. Not possible. One, we really shouldn't sexualize six-year-olds at all. We shouldn't even be considering what type of sex they might have. But yeah. two, at some point in popular culture, flamboyant nature, acts, and interests became linked to an adult who would be a homosexual. I'm just interested in like when people say to you, oh, I always knew if that is a part of your thought process, if you considered it. And like, is it annoying to hear? I just, you know when people say, I already knew, and you're like, no, you didn't. No, you didn't know that I like to have sex with men. It's super annoying. I hate it. I hate when people, like, I'm fine with it now because I'm an adult and I've advertised the fact that I'm gay. But early on, it yeah, it really used to piss me off. I was like, well, hang on. Just can I come to terms with it? Can you just let me learn about myself without you having to tell me like it's like, it's like they, they tell you it didn't happen often and it didn't really happen with family. They were really, really good. They just sort of took a backseat role and let me do what I needed to do. But the, I had a lot of friends, you know, teachers in high school um, that uh, well, one specific moment uh, there was a teacher and I, I caught up with her, I'd finished school, there was a, there was a big sort of group party like a, like a lunch, Darling Harbour, um, and she'd spent a couple of years over in England. We were really excited to have her back and she was such a, like, she was a young substitute teacher at the school mm. and she was so fun and just everyone loved her because she had like, she'd plait her hair and swizzle it into a big beehive. Like She was yes. this really cool music teacher and I remember catching up with her and the first thing she said was, are you gay yet? And 
I wasn't, and it was in front of everyone. And it was the most mortifying, embarrassing, um, and I didn't know how to respond and I was like, oh, not yet. And I mumbled it and everyone was like, oh, I thought so. And I was like, oh, my God, I said not yet. And I was like, oh, God. And so I was like, I'm just going to go to the bathroom. And I just left. (laughs) I just hightailed it out of there. Irish accent, goodbye. Yeah, and I, I, that really taught me a lesson in, for my, because I'm 35, mm. and so I, I see people in school these days who are much more confident and much more comfortable. From my experience, I just sort of let people tell me or wait for them to drop really obvious hints like my boyfriend or my partner or, mm. you know, when they they want to tell you without telling you and then you can just, you just know. Mm. Um because it it can be really awkward and also just really embarrassing for the other person. Just let them, you know, let them do what they have to do, especially with a lot of celebrities these days. Like there's one in particular who you're like, mm, pretty confident, <laughs> but just give them the time. They, you know, they haven't lived a life. They've been in a spotlight for so long doing everything. Let them experience all those lessons. They unfortunately have to do it so publicly and everyone keeps saying, you know, oh, look at this, oh, look at what they've done now and, oh, the way this person has dove into this water, that's, you know, bottom energy and you're just like, just leave them alone. Just like it's so, it'd be so traumatising for for that person. Well, that, that's literally why I even brought the subject up because when I hear you say that, I'm traumatised. Like it brings me back to that time in my mm. life where you're coming out. It's hard, right? Mm. It's inside of you. You're a young person. You know you're different. The world functions of a very particular way. Your household has a man and a woman. Everyone on TV is a man and a woman. You know that to procreate, you need a man and a woman. And there you are going, damn, that's not me. I'm this thing. People are using gay as the butt of a joke. It's hard. So when you finally muster up the courage to tell somebody, when you go through that one-year, two-year, five-year battle, and you finally say, this is something I want to tell you, and they look you in the eyes and go, mm. I always knew. Yeah. It's like it becomes, well, one, and it becomes about them. It's like a very ego-driven answer. I always knew. I had intel long before you had intel, yeah. my child. <laughs> yeah. Like, Tell me it, something new. Exactly. Oh my God. Don't diminish my moment. <laughs> yes, let me have it. But then also I think what it does is it like sets a really negative precedent that like all, it's why we have problems with masculinity in this country. It's like if you're even a little bit camp or you speak with a higher pitched voice or into mm. theater or music, well, then that must equal homosexuality. And so basically what they're saying is I inferred your sexual taste based off of the way you act I don't know. It just doesn't really feel like an empathetic and loving way to respond to anyone telling you a huge piece of information from their life. Yeah. But also, the gays are the worst at it. Oh, the absolute worst. The absolute worst. They'll be like, he's gay. I'm like, you haven't, you, you've seen him cross the street. Nope, I know. Mm. I'm like, well, you, you, okay, good for you. Like, what's that going to achieve? Like, yeah, why gay, not? I don't understand. That's fascinating. I mean, I catch myself out. I do it also. Like, I, I will judge people and go, oh. Yeah, I reckon he's gay. And it's just like, why? why? We're desperate, I think. I've had this conversation. (laughs) We're so desperate to have more of us. Like, we're so sick of being the minority that we're like, he's gay, he's gay. I can smell a gay coming walking down the street. Like, anyone, (laughs) please. Yeah, yeah. So you grew up in Sydney? Correct, yes. Yeah. Back when you were in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, were you conscious and aware of gay people? Uh, no. 
I just trying to remember the first time I saw or realised anything. It, it's weird because nothing springs to mind. Like there was not a key moment where I was like, oh, that guy's gay or anything to do with being gay. I do remember liking boys mm. and going, oh, this this is like, oh, puberty. So mm-hmm. it just, you know, you like boys and then the girl liking hormone kicks in. That's what I thought. And I was like, God, this liking guys phase is a lot. Um, and then, you know, and then I was like, oh, I think I might just like guys. And then I can't remember if I'm, pr- I would have known liking, like, I would have known being gay was a thing. I mean, I wasn't upset. It didn't, uh, like, I had. I can't stress enough how supportive and loving my mother and father are. You know, dad worked for Qantas as a hostie on a plane. Like, I mean, surrounded by gays. And mum worked in the fashion industry. Oh, damn. So it was inevitable that they were going to have a gay son. (laughs) Um, And so, uh, yeah, there's no, I, I don't have a pivotal moment. I don't remember anything. I remember seeing, oh, no, I remember Queer as Folk on SBS. Oh, yeah. Something I used to sneak and watch because they was like, it was quite full on. Yes, it was. Really good. Really, really good. Yeah, really. Yeah, I really liked it. And then Big Brother Up Late was another thing. That was where I like, you could see Dick on television for the first time. That was like my soiree into that. And I think it was it was Johnny who was in the first series of Big Brother was the, the gay, he was gay. And he was, oh my God, so fun. Just such a great character. And I, I think it was just through, slowly through TV, like I, I was really lucky that I never felt different or unusual. I never worried about being gay. The only time I worried was at school because you become a target for bullies. Mm. So I kept, uh, yeah, I kept pretty much to myself. I mean, honestly, it's great to hear. Like, I, I don't think any of us are interested in knowing that like a path is really terrible for everybody, especially yeah. my hope is if you live in a city a left-leaning city or a creative city or you're surrounded um, by accepting people, that that has a really positive impact on your life. And you're basically painting the picture of, well, if you have parents that are accepting, whether they know or not, like if they're just cool people, if they don't allow you to disrespect people in wheelchairs or people of different colors or if you say bad words and they call you out on it, yeah, that has a really positive impact on your ability to want to come out to those types of people, right? Yeah. The words that people speak out in the world have an impact. So if you have a homophobic uncle, the likelihood that you're ever going to come out to him down the line decreases every time he says the, the word. Yeah, tag, yeah right? exactly. Exactly. And I was so lucky just to have just such a solid family. Like, and I know that's very unusual from hearing a lot of people's stories. Mm. But, you know, I I was lucky to have older parents. So I think um, I was at the, the boundaries were very clear. Like I know a lot of parents are friends with their kids. I was never friends with my parents literally up until I was made, until I left home and, mm. and then I realised all the lessons they taught me, all the things that they did for us as kids, you know, that that I guess would have been like a huge challenge for them. But like, and they got no credit for it when we were growing up. But now I can see, I'm like, well, I mean, they've raised four absolute morons that can never live up to any expectation because they did everything for us. Yeah. Um, which I was like, no, that's called bad parenting. You really didn't let us fend for ourselves. <laughs> so we're now really useless children. And dad would have these signals that when we were over at someone's house, he'd like, 
twiddle his um, earlobe and we we're like, thank you for having us. And so we're all we're like, like a Von Trapp family trained to to do all these things, you know, touching his nose and doing all these things. So they they really instilled a lot of um, respect for others and, and the way they handled a lot of situations was very much like rather than get angry for themselves or for us, it was like, okay, well, why did the other person, why do you think the other person did this? Mm. And, well, you know, Little Johnny's mum, you know, doesn't have uh, a husband, so, you know, doesn't have a dad, so you got to remember it's a very stressful situation financially and so you're like, oh, yeah. And then, you know, you were able to justify things that were done to you and you go, oh, well, that makes sense. Yeah. And so now I've I've taken that on board when, when something's wrong. I'll get angry. Like I'm a go straight to anger. But then I'll cool down and go, oh, no, look, I'm really lucky in my situation. You don't know what someone else is going through. You know, they just cut me off in a lane. I get road rage. Oh, my God, my road rage is so bad. Me too. Um, but my parents just taught taught us this from an early age. So it meant coming out, I really didn't have to do. I never felt um, not valued. I always felt loved. And then that produced a very confident person. That's amazing. I was going to ask you, because I'm not naive to the fact that comedy often comes from misery mm. <laughs> or challenge in our lives. Like when you meet a lot of older, like every single person above the age of 18 who's like a really funny gay man usually has like a really rough history, right? Their family yeah. didn't love them or they were deeply religious and it was like a problematic. And so humor became an outlet for them to kind of escape the troubles in the closet, literally and metaphorically. Were you raised religious? Was that a part of your story? No. So there was always a pact between my mother and father that uh, mum was like, well, you're going to raise the boys. Dad was Catholic. Mum was Anglican. But they're not really religious. Mm -hmm. And so we went to church every Sunday um, and that was like mum forcing dad to do that. And I now realise why. It's because every Sunday my mother got two hours to herself. Mm -hmm. And that's the only reason why I think we went to church <laughs> every Sunday. All the men in the house left and mum was like, oh, thank God. I mean, she spent it cleaning the poor thing. Yeah. But uh, we went to, I think coincidentally we went to religious schools. It was it was never an intention. I, I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic primary school, Catholic high school. Um, and it was fine. It, it was, you know, it was just weird. When you, I'm not, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in any of that. So was being gay not problematic for you through the lens of a religious education? No, we weren't taught that at all. I know recently I'd, I'd come out swinging. There's a school in, in Brisbane here that City Point Christian College, very religious. Um, it's a private school. It's millions of dollars from the government every year. And they released a contract that said, you know, being gay is a sin. Mm. We don't accept you. And also... You're born a boy or a girl, okay, whatever's on your birth certificate, that's what you are. And um, it was just really transphobic and really homophobic and I luckily didn't see a whiff of that growing up in, in my sort of Catholic upbringing and neither do a lot of Catholic schools. They're not so obvious in that fact. Mm. Um, this one was pretty full on. Like there are some extreme, you know, that, that, well, the Christian doctrine does state that. It's all stated in this doctrine that was included in this contract that City Point sent out to its students to say, oh, here's the terms and conditions of being enrolled at this school. Mm. One, pretty much you're not gay. Two, uh, you, whatever gender's on your birth certificate is, is what you are. And um, they came out and said it and it, it pissed me off a lot, which is why I sort of shared a lot about it. It also came at a time right before 
the religious discrimination bill was to hit parliament. Uh, I think Scott Morrison wasn't happy that it, it raised a big red flag before they were going to decide to put the bill through. And also I just got a lot of messages from people after I called it out who went to the school who were like, this hasn't come out of nowhere. Like there are schools like City Point Christian College who while they don't necessarily have it so obviously written in a contract, they were like, oh, no, the, this person was managed out, this teacher was not fired, they're always managed out. Mm-hmm. Their, their lives are made to feel less than and, and miserable so they leave the school and students also. Students were threatened, you know, uh, some saying that their leadership positions would be taken away unless they can come out and squash these rumours that they are bisexual or a lesbian. I'm like, that's a threat. Removing a scholarship from a student, I'm like, mm. mm, you th- that's a threat. Go back in the closet. You know, come out of the closet in a few more years, not while you're here at school. <laughs> I have to say, the reason I asked the question in the first place is it was really traumatic for me to watch this happening in the press. And so obviously having you stand up for our community was like a light at the end of the tunnel. If you grew up religious, I was Roman Catholic. If you were actively involved in the mm. church, if it was a huge foundational part of your childhood, then you know what it's like to feel less than consistently. And you know specifically the fear that God, the Bible. Were you quite religious growing up? Oh, hugely, 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 wow. absolutely. Massive, massive part of my entire childhood. Did you like realize you were gay and went, oh, I'm going to hell? Or did you have any of that sort of going on? I mean, that's literally why I asked you because I was wondering if the reason you stood up for us so passionately was because you might have had a similar childhood to mine. Um, when I realized I was gay, I found out at church in the basement, a bunch of people were talking, they had like a a leaflet um, that had uh, like uh, all of the sins listed on it. And one of the girls said, what's homosexual? And another girl said, uh, it means boys who like boys. And then they said like Sean and everyone laughed. And I was like, well, what is that word? Like, I don't know what that word is. Like, what does that even mean? And at that time I thought like you, like all boys liked boys. I thought puberty, I think a lot of us think that. Well, when puberty hits, that's when the girl thing will kick in. Yeah. And then it doesn't. And through the lens of religion, it doesn't matter if your parents are accepting. It does not matter if your mom tells you every day that God loves everyone. It does not matter if you tell, if your family, well, if your family knows gay people and they say, well, don't worry, you know, Michael and Kevin are really happy. The problem with having rational conversations with six-year-olds is like Uh, what they choose to grab onto is really hard developmentally for parents to have a hold on. And so for me, I found out through church that it was a sin and I knew it was a sin. And I saw my priest saying that homosexuality was a sin and that you'd go to hell. And I knew from separate conversations that when you go to hell, you live there forever and ever and ever and ever. It's the worst place ever. There's no way to get out. And that God is the only one who had control. So when you're a young kid and you find out that there's this word and it's a sin and it's in the book and everything else you believe in your entire life is also from that book, right? Mm-hmm. Like, how do you know that God exists? How do you know that the seas were parted? How do you know that Jesus, you know, rose again? Like, all that's from the book. So if there's a sentence or a couple sentences, whether it's mistranslated or not, we could argue that till mm-hmm. death do us part. But <laughs> when you're seven and eight and nine, to have an adult come to you and be like, but don't worry, God loves everyone. It's hard for you to rationalize. You think they're lying to you. Wow. Of course you do. At least I did. And, and as I talked to more queer people who, who believed with every ounce of them that they were going to go to hell and who believed mm-hmm. that life on earth, no matter how good it was, was going to end there because of who you were. When someone tried to convince you otherwise, 
people who love you obsessively, right? My mother looking me in the Mm -hmm. eyes and saying, God loves you exactly as you are. And don't you worry. He put you and created you like this on purpose. A part of you is going, of course you'd say that straight woman. Of course you'd say that Christian person who brings me to church each Sunday. And so when you were fighting for us as a community and really speaking loudly and we're seeing you on TV and on social and getting people Mm -hmm. to sign, uh, part of me was like, all the arguments against it are adults rational adult brain saying, well, you, you know, you should be able to send, you, you should be able to go wherever you want to go. And if you want to have an environment or a group where they don't want homosexuals as a part of it, that should be allowed. And I don't, agree, I don't disagree with that. I think religious freedom is a valuable and important part. My parents should be able to go to church on Sunday. But the truth is what you did was you fought for us little kids who didn't have a voice. Like yeah, right. the seven did and eight year olds. I didn't realize that at all. That was not, I mean, it's it's the first time I'm I'm hearing that even with a loving supportive parent, you still struggle to rationalize. I've that's that's really quite sad, because it's you, you it's brainwashing. Like it's it's complete brainwashing. And the reason why I stood up was religion has fascinated me, and so has cults. For, for like I've watched all the Scientology documentaries. You know I've watched a lot of you know, like four corners on on you know, child sex abuse in the church. I've watched all of these things and I go, well, this is just another, this is another facet of a religious organization institutionalizing abuse and getting away with it. And now the government wants to make this something that they can allow. And I'm like, the the problems that this will cause um, society as a whole, you may not realize are enormous Mm. because people are like, when when they say you should be able to choose where your kids go to school or or not go to school, yes, but also, fuck you. Mm. I don't want children being brought up to believe homosexuality and trans identity isn't a thing because what happens is they leave school and now I'm working with them or now they become the prime minister of the country and they're making decisions about putting religious freedoms in. So the impacts, are, you know, like the instant impact is obviously it'll have quite significant mental harm on the kids who do identify as homosexuality and have gender issues within that school. They also don't believe that mental health is a thing. Um, they believe that you've got demons in you that, and you need to be exercised. And they perform exorcism on children, mm. like so traumatising. And so you, you create depression, you create anxiety, you create all these mental health issues that then, you know, these kids leave these schools and then, our system is already so screwed, you know, mental health-wise. It's so overwhelmed. It's so underfunded. And then you've got, you know, money from the government going to private. I just didn't realise private schools get more funding than public schools. Mm. It doesn't make any sense to me. I'm like, I understand that schools need money and that they help kids and that they put them back into society as better human beings. That's the goal of a school. And so they can take government funding, but they can't take it if they're going to be assholes. Yeah. (laughs) You know, and also like how many water polo courts does a school need? And then there's a public school that's struggling, you know, just to get kids to the school. The public transport is so shit. I'm like, stop putting all this money into these schools for a rifle range or all these fancy things. I mean, I could go on forever. Like, it's so infuriating. Well, it kind of goes back to, like, the beginning of this conversation, which is, as adults, we our brains have developed far enough along that we're capable of understanding the nuances of how politics work. We're 
able to be mm-hmm. frustrated and articulate that in a powerful way. We have outlets, we have connections. Maybe we've worked through our our struggles with our own sexuality. And so when things like this happen out in the world, we're able to be angry, but we're able to like do something about it. We're able to channel that like you into advocacy or talk to people or vote or picket or whatever it may be. But most importantly, developmentally, we're capable of um, compartmentalizing or working through these issues, going to therapy, raising our Mm -hmm. hand and saying we're frustrated, talking, you know, we have evolved. Who hasn't? who's not capable of thinking that way, who doesn't have an outlet, who doesn't feel that they can just pick up the phone and call a therapist or have the tools to work through these issues with the family are young people. But what I like to do, really through the lens of your entire story now, is remind people, parents, your job as a parent is to do what Christian's parents did and my parents did, which is create a safe space where they feel trusted and they understand the reality of the world. And but the reality of the world is that 10% of people based off of current data are are gay or you know mm. largely queer. And so if you're a parent and you're having children, you need to come to terms with the fact that one out of 10 chances that you're going to have a, a gay child. And if that's the case, they're not going to know or come out to you till later in life. So every decision you make for those first 10, 15, 12 mm. years are going to are going to shape them. And so if you force them to play AFL, if you force them to go to church every Sunday, if you force them to go to a specific daycare or primary school or high school and all that jazz, you have to have it in the back of your mind as a parent that there's the potential that that is doing them harm. It doesn't mean that you don't put them there, but it's your job as a parent Mm -hmm. is to protect them because they are not developmentally capable of doing that for themselves. And so sure, it's your right to put them in a school, but no parent wants their children to live a life of hatred where they feel they're going to die in hell for the rest of their life. No parent wants their children to suffer in silence. And if you do, you shouldn't be a fucking parent. <laughs> I know, right. It's really interesting with the high school debate. My parents wanted me to go to Holy Cross College and it was an all-boys school and I knew I knew I would not survive at that school. Mm. And a lot of my friends were going to St. Pat's Dundas and I was like, that's where I want to go. And they were like, mm. We don't think so. And I just was like, oh, my God. And I remember just having breakdowns and panic attacks. And then I just said I don't want to go. And they could see that. And they were like, oh, there's something going on here. Mm. Maybe he knows something that we don't know. And they were like, okay, well, let's look into this. And, and you know, because when you're from year six, like as an adult going, well, they don't know any better. This is a good school because I know all these things. When, oh, I just, there was no way in hell. And it was only because I knew someone that had bullied me that was going there. Yeah, yeah. And I just knew some kids I just didn't want to be around. It had nothing to do, I had no idea about the school. But I just knew some of the people that went there. I was like, I don't think this is the environment for me. Mm. And they were pretty good about it. They they trusted me enough to be like, all right. But you had to fight for that. That's the other thing. Like a lot of the positive stories I do hear of kids kind of getting out of church or getting out of the schools requires them to have so much strength, communication strength, Mm -hmm. confidence, to be able to like stand up to their parents. And again, these parents, your parents weren't trying to harm you. Like they weren't going, well, let's send him to this school so his life is difficult. Yeah. But it requires kids to like have skills that not all kids have yet. And that's why I often say to parents, like if you can, just imagine the possibility that your child is bisexual. Just imagine it so that you say the right things and create the space so that when you have a conversation about sending them to a specific school, all boy, all girl, whatever, you just have in the back of your head that there are other subjects for you to broach. Mm. 
Mm. Ramble, 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 but important freaking subject. I know, right? God, why is this even a thing? Uh, it's true. Hey, the world's getting a better place because of people like you. It is. Is it though? Uh, absolutely, it? absolutely. I think the fact that like our larger vernacular around what it means to be gay and our social thought process around what homosexual is has obviously changed for the better. Mm. Also, when you think about gay people getting married, even though it was hard to get there, and then also gay people having children, that wasn't even legal when you and I were kids at all. And now yeah, it is. Yeah. So Yeah, okay. You know, that's a good point. I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> it's just hard, just hard with everything going on. I think I just lump it in with all the other issues. And when you start, like I've never really been an activist. Mm. And I just sort of fell into the city point thing. Oh man, the messages you get and the the deep holes that you go down. And you're just like, oh my God, I couldn't, I can't do that again. Like I can't, I'm not activizing myself anymore, please. Oh. That is mentally the worst thing I could do. Oh, it just makes you so angry. You're like, yeah, why is that happening? Boo! Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, you've been talking over the course of the last couple of weeks about a heated topic. Anytime you dip your toe into anything religious related, mm-hmm. let alone connecting to the queer community, it is problematic. I'm imagining you're getting <sighs> quite a bit of trolls, but I'm really interested in how you. Just you, not even the take of the issue, but how you're handling it. Because I know it was a lot. It's a hell of a lot. I, I had random breakdowns in the middle of the day where I'd burst into tears just from the messages I was getting from people. And I think suddenly someone with my level of reach, you know, having, you know, 3 million people follow me, it's like a beacon. So suddenly I was getting so many people ask for help. Mm. And I was like, oh, God, like I'm – I. I'm not qualified. Like I've got no training. I didn't know how to handle it. I didn't know where to direct them. I didn't know what to do. Um, I'd have, you know, I tried to read every message and it got to a point where I couldn't because there was such graphic details about things people had been through, you know, within church, within schools. And then also you have a lot of people contacting me so I can stand up against their struggles and things just, so different. You know, dad called me the other day to say a friend of a friend of his was, you know, having a petition due to just some things going on in their workplace. And I was like, that is absolutely wrong. And I will sign the petition, but I just can't, I can't get behind all of these causes. Like Mm. I want to help. But then there was that fine line of, okay, I haven't done any fun videos. I haven't done anything that people follow me for. It's been really depressing. You know, I've, I've done, I recently did a big charity drive for um, sh- uh, Share the Dignity and for um, Bravery Buddies. It was raising money for kids with cancer. So that's also very depressing. And mm. I was just in this thing where I was like, I need to get, how do I get out? How do I get out of this? And I don't want to, it's like, being an advocate, I'm like, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do it anymore. Like, uh, yeah. I've advocated for enough. Mm. And then you feel really guilty saying that. And so I was like, I just didn't know what to do. And thank God through um, the City Point drama, I had a, a another guy, a Tim O'Connor, who was very vocal. Um, we were communicating and I said, Tim, I'm not coping. And he was just really good at saying, okay, turn this off. Don't do this. Send me this. Um, I've got a Guardian journalist. Also the police contact has reached out. Forward that to people. So he was like this control guy being like, because I was just mush. Sure. And so he was just telling me the steps to get out of the mush and then it was sort of like, right, I can sort of close this chapter, you know, 
the the school retracted the contract, the bill finished up, and I was like, great. So what we'd set out to do was sort of done. I need to just not open any messages for a while um, and go back to guessing paint colours <laughs> and <laughs> reacting to five-minute crafts. And it, it had a huge mental toll. It's such an interesting thing to consider the work an advocate is like forced to do. Like for you to stand up for people who don't have a platform, like the pressure it puts on you to even go through that for us. It's such a weird idea. It was so much pressure. All I wanted to do was, uh, you know, Felicity had shared the contract. She was a former student. Her sister was at the school. She got access to it. She identified as queer and said, this is wrong. I was like, oh my God, it is wrong. Why is the school doing this? Took some screenshots, shared it on my page, was like, this needs to not happen. And then it just blew up into this huge thing. And then because I have so many followers, mm. I was that beacon of light for people to share their story. Um, they, you know, been keeping it mm. inside for some for 30, 40 years. And I was a person that they were opening up to. And I was like, well, oh, this is a big moment for you. I feel like you're opening sure. up to the wrong person because I don't know what to do with that information. And then it's it's sort of that, are they asking for help or are they just wanting to, what do I, and I had like two, two and a half thousand messages yeah. I got all saying very similar things. And it makes you, you know, when you read, well, I re, someone said to me, oh, Christian, vicarious trauma is a thing where you sort of take on board people's trauma. Sure. It's like, of course it is. It's not normal. It's not normal to receive 2,000 opinions. <laughs> no. And so I, I, when I heard that, I was like, okay, well, I need to be really careful because then I'll end up falling in a heap and not mm. being able to do anything. So I sort of shut the door a little bit and tried to look after myself. Yeah, that's, I'm glad you did. Because, I mean, it's the positive is it, this conversation, your work shed a light on the reality that most people do struggle in silence. Most young people just have no choice but to cop it. Yeah. They just have to deal with the language around them. They have to deal with the ramifications. They suppress, they're strong. The queer community yeah. is dealing with this every day, all the time. It's sometimes at home, sometimes at school, sometimes at church. And you don't have to. You can actually talk about it. You can raise your hand. It's therapeutic. Um, and I am glad you started the conversation because mm. hopefully other people can take that baton and like bring it into their own small communities. You hope so. And you also think of people like Grace Tame, mm. like all, all the other advocates. And I'm like, they do this full time. Yep. I did it for three days. Yeah. I was like, how do they have that emotional and mental stability? And they've been like what Grace Tame has been through. Yeah, exactly. You know, she had to go through all of this trauma, then advocate for it. Then she won Australian of the Year, so there was a massive spotlight on her. Yeah. And then I'm, I have no doubt she just constantly all the time receives messages from people explaining their trauma and, and how she sort of maybe helped them and... Just think, God, it's got to, it's got to be just so difficult. Mm. Well, I think the more we talk about it, like every time guests come on the show and we talk about their coming out story, oftentimes we hear like, I actually haven't unpicked it or I haven't revisited it before. <laughs> yeah. I haven't talked to people about it. I'm like, that's because no one asks. The, yeah. the average person doesn't pull their gay friends aside and say, how traumatic was your childhood? Yeah. Did Tell you struggle? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? And the reality is I think what happened to you and what you, the work you did felt personal to me because I was like, I've actually never spoken to anyone about what it was like to be a young religious kid. And then to turn on the TV and mm. see on the project and to see on the morning show, like all these other queer people saying, yeah. I, I went to that school. I lived through this. It just all of a sudden made you feel... Like maybe you weren't crazy and maybe you weren't alone. Yeah, there's a whole heap of you. Mm. And so the work was hard, but mm. appreciated. 
Never again. <laughs> well, if there's a young queer person who found you through this great advocacy, who's struggling with their sexuality, maybe they're in religion, what would you like to say to young people um, who are listening? God, firstly, my content is a bit appro- uh, age inappropriate. Um, I think, well, I think it's, I've, I've said this a few times, it's just to know that what you're experiencing right now is is a small insular uh, world and it's, if you can step out of your, you know, your circle, your home life, your community group that you're a part of, if it's toxic in any way, and this also speaks to, you know, people in domestic situations. It speaks to anyone in a toxic situation right now. That is not a reflection of the community and society as a whole. It's really, really, really hard to get out of it. You've, but you've, you've got to try and, you've got to try and snake your way out. You know, but, but it, it's, mm. it's, it's tricky. But once you find that little, you know, head to the light, they always say, stay away from the light. Head toward the light, and and then you'll discover people very similar to you, your community that will motivate you, they will love you, they'll support you and you'll be able to do whatever you want to do. I'm sure it's so annoying if you're 13 and you keep hearing it gets better, but I think there's a reason. How though? How does it get better? That was my thing. I was like, what do you mean? How? Yeah. It's not something you can physically, I don't know how. Exactly. But I do think it's helpful to know that there are a lot of other people like you. Like for a long time, that was not a part of the narrative. There wasn't fact or numbers to back it up. But the truth Mm. is we exist in every town, in every state, in every single country in the world. Mm. And there are a lot of us living happy, successful lives with children or families or successful careers you're not going to struggle in silence alone, I guess, is the takeaway. I think social media is a blessing and a curse because social Mm. media allows you to discover those groups while, you know, you're tucked away at home. Um, But it can also be like you said before, when you come home to your safe space, well, not if you're on Facebook or Instagram. Yeah, you're bringing home negative. (laughs) You're right. (laughs) Uh, So there's a pros and cons there. But if you want to look for people, you know, TikTok and like the internet is is the best place to find uh, I mean, obviously, if we're talking if you're, young you're, people, you know, <laughs> if you're still in primary school, the internet is also a terrible. Yeah, mm. it's it's so hard because it's sure, but yeah. I guess at least it paints the picture of the truth, right? Oftentimes, mm. if you live in an insulated bubble, like maybe you might have a little bit where everyone's really positive and happy, and you you don't have to question your sexuality, you're more confronted as an adult when you meet a homophobe. So I guess Mm. if you can find your community Mm. online and you see that they're there and then you see young people, how they deal with trolls, which is really beautifully on TikTok, by the way, like they'll turn trolls (laughs) into full songs. Um, And a dance. Yeah, exactly. Like (laughs) the positivity that comes from understanding. Listen, the truth is being queer is not accepted by 100% of people. The sooner you realize that, the better your life is going to be because what you Mm. will do, like Christian has just said, is find your community and the people who do love you. I do want to ask you one last thing. There are a lot of parents who were introduced to you through uh, your advocacy recently, who are religious, who love God, who love their Bible and their church. And I'm really interested in if you have anything to say to them specifically. Um, it doesn't need to be. It's what I, That's all I want to know. What do you think? Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. Because in my mind, I have my view on religion. Mm. It's, not, it's not a great one. It's because I've gone down a deep rabbit hole of seeing the absolute filth of it. But I've come to terms with knowing that people join religion to deal with grief or to build community 
also, so it's a really positive thing. Mm. But to religious parents who think they might have a child who's homosexual or is having gender identity issues, <laughs> I wouldn't even know. You just got to watch what you say and your actions. Kids are very observant, mm. very observant. And even my parents thought they were speaking in code, but I could tell when dad was like, oh, I think he's a friend of Dorothy. I'm like, exactly. I was probably eight or nine. I was like, mm, I mean, I know exactly what he's saying. Mm. Stop being an idiot. Um, God, I'd, I, w- I wouldn't have a clue, to be honest. You're on your own. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think you've said enough. Like, listen, your your words, the, the takeaway is your words are valuable. Little kids absorb everything that you say. And if you're hopeful mm. to have a long relationship with your with your child, the, the mm. rude truth about our community is there's fractured families across our beautiful gay alphabet. Well, if they're listening, if there's a religious person listening to this podcast, which is solely about the gays, you're doing a great thing. Yeah, step so one. you've made the first step. Educate just yourself. listening. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and chatting with me. I really appreciate you uh, opening up a little bit and wonderful work over the course of the last couple of months. We're all lucky to have you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm now going to jump in an Uber and no doubt try and hit on a, another Uber driver. <laughs> Tell Amazing. him a story. Try, maybe I'll try and convince him that I'm straight. See there how that go. goes. There we go. Yeah, there's a challenge. <laughs> Okay, we are back. How are you going? How are you feeling? If this episode left you wanting more information about our wonderful LGBTQIA plus alphabet, then you should check out Minus 18. They're Australia's LGBTQIA plus charity. They have heaps of resources on their website and they run trainings for workplaces and classrooms. Minus 18 are on all socials at minus 18 youth and their website is minus 18.org.au. But Minus 18 isn't a helpline. So if you're looking for support, you can call QLife on 1-800-184-527 for free every day from 3 p.m. till midnight. If you're feeling anxious and not up to talking on the phone, they also have web chat at qlife.org.au. Lifeline is also available 24 hours a day for crisis support and suicide prevention. Their number is 13 11 14. If you want to be a part of the Come Out Wherever You Are community, you can slide into our DMs on Instagram at Come Out Wherever You Are. You can also follow me at Sean Zeps. That's S-E-A-N-S-Z-E-P-S. Come Out Wherever You Are is presented by me, Sean Zeps. Producer, Lindsay Green. Executive producer, Jennifer Goggin. And audio producer, Chris Marsh. Listener.